This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ragged Dick, or Street Life in New York with the Bootblacks, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 13. Mickey Maguire. About nine o'clock Dick sought his new lodgings. In his hands he carried his professional wardrobe, namely the clothes which he had worn at the commencement of the day, and the implements of his business. These he stowed away in the bureau drawers, and by the light of a flickering candle took off his clothes and went to bed. Dick had a good digestion, and a reasonably good conscience. Consequently he was a good sleeper. Perhaps, too, the soft feather bed conduced to slumber. At any rate, his eyes were soon closed, and he did not wake until half-past six the next morning. He lifted himself on his elbow, and stared about him in transient bewilderment. "'Blessed if I hadn't forgot where I was,' he said to himself. "'So this is my room, is it? Well, it seems kind of spectable to have a room, and a bed to sleep in. I'd order be able to afford seventy-five cents a week. I've throwed away more money than that in one evening. There ain't no reason why I shouldn't live spectable.' I wish I knowed as much as Frank. He's a tip-top feller. Nobody ever cared enough for me before to give me good advice. It was kicks and cuffs and swearing at me all the time. I'd like to show him I can do something. While Dick was indulging in these reflections, he had risen from bed, and finding an accession to the furniture of his room, in the shape of an ancient washstand bearing a cracked bowl and broken pitcher, indulged himself in the rather unusual ceremony of a good wash. On the whole, Dick preferred to be clean, but it was not always easy to gratify his desire. Lodging in the street as he had been accustomed to do, he had had no opportunity to perform his toilet in the customary manner. Even now he found himself unable to arrange his disheveled locks, having neither comb nor brush. He determined to purchase a comb at least, as soon as possible, and a brush too if he could get one cheap. Meanwhile he combed his hair with his fingers as well as he could though the result was not quite so satisfactory as it might have been. A question now came up for consideration. For the first time in his life, Dick possessed two sets of clothes. Should he put on the clothes Frank had given him, or resume his old rags? Now, twenty-four hours before, at the time Dick was introduced to the reader's notice, no one could have been less fastidious as to his clothing than he. Indeed, he had a rather contempt for good clothes, or at least he thought so. But now, as he surveyed the ragged and dirty coat and the patched pants, Dick felt ashamed of them. He was unwilling to appear in the streets with them. Yet, if he went to work in his new suit, he was in danger of spoiling it, and he might not have it in his power to purchase a new one. Economy dictated a return to the old garments. Dick tried them on, and surveyed himself in the cracked glass, but the reflection did not please him. "'They don't look spectable,' he decided." and forthwith taking them off again, he put on the new suit of the day before. "'I must try to earn a little more,' he thought, to pay for my room, and to buy some new clothes when these is wore out. He opened the door of his chamber, and went downstairs and into the street, carrying his blacking-box with him. It was Dick's custom to commence his business before breakfast. Generally, it must be owned, because he had begun the day penniless, and must earn his meal before he ate it. Today it was different. He had four dollars left in his pocket-book, but this he had previously determined not to touch. In fact, he had formed the ambitious design of starting an account in a savings-bank, in order to have something to fall back upon, in case of sickness or any other emergency, 
or at any rate as a reserve fund to expend in clothing or other necessary articles when he required them. Hitherto he had been content to live on from day to day, without a penny ahead. But the new vision of respectability which now floated before Dick's mind, owing to his recent acquaintance with Frank, was beginning to exercise a powerful effect upon him. In Dick's profession, as in others, there are lucky days, when everything seems to flow prosperously. As if to encourage him in his new-born resolution, our hero obtained no less than six jobs in the course of an hour and a half. This gave him sixty cents, quite abundant to purchase his breakfast, and a comb besides. His exertions made him hungry, and entering a small eating-house, he ordered a cup of coffee and a beefsteak. To this he added a couple of rolls. This was quite a luxurious breakfast for Dick, who, and more expensive than he was accustomed to indulge himself with. To gratify the curiosity of my young readers, I will put down the items with their cost. Coffee, five cents. Beefsteak, fifteen cents. A couple of rolls, five cents. Total, twenty-five cents. It will thus be seen that our hero had expended nearly one-half of his morning's earnings. Some days he had been compelled to breakfast on five cents, and then he was forced to content himself with a couple of apples or cakes. But a good breakfast is a good preparation for a busy day, and Dick sallied forth from the restaurant lively and alert, ready to do a good stroke of business. Dick's change of costume was liable to lead to one result of which he had not thought. His brother Bootblacks might think he had grown aristocratic, and was putting on airs. That, in fact, he was getting above his business, and desirous to outshine his associates. Dick had not dreamed of this, because, in fact, in spite of his newborn ambition, he entertained no such feeling. There was nothing of what boys call big feeling about him. He was a borough Democrat, using the word not politically, but in its proper sense, and was disposed to fraternize with all whom he styled good fellows, without regards to their position. It may seem a little unnecessary to some of my readers to make this explanation, but they must remember that pride and big feeling are confined to no age or class, but might be found in boys as well as men, and in bootblacks as well as those of a higher rank. The morning being a busy time with the bootblacks, Dick's changed appearance had not as yet attracted much attention. But when business slackened a little, our hero was destined to be reminded of it. Among the downtown bootblacks was one hailing from the five points, a stout, red-haired, freckled-faced boy of fourteen, bearing the name of Mickey Maguire. This boy, by his boldness and recklessness, as well as by his personal strength, which was considerable, had acquired an ascendancy among his fellow professionals, and had a gang of subservient followers, whom he led on to acts of ruffianism, not unfrequently terminating in a month or two at Blackwell's Island. Mickey himself had served two terms there, but the confinement appeared to have had very little effect in amending his conduct, except, perhaps, in making him a little more cautious about an encounter with the cops, as the members of the city police are, for some unknown reason, styled among the five-point boys. Now Mickey was proud of his strength, and of his position of leader, which it had secured him. Moreover, he was democratic in his tastes, and had a jealous hatred of those who wore good clothes and kept their faces clean. He called it putting on airs, and resented the implied superiority. If he had been fifteen years older, and had a trifle more education, he would have interested himself in politics, and been prominent at ward meetings, and a terror to respectable voters on election day. As it was, he contented himself with being the leader of a gang of young ruffians, over whom he wielded a despotic power. 
Now it is only justice to Dick to say that, as far as wearing good clothes was concerned, he had never hitherto offended the eyes of Mickey Maguire. Indeed, they generally looked as if they patronized the same clothing establishment. On this particular morning, it chanced that Mickey had not been very fortunate in a business way, and as a natural consequence, his temper, never very amiable, was somewhat ruffled by the fact. He had had a very frugal breakfast, not because he felt abstemious, but owing to the low state of his finances. He was walking along with one of his particular friends, a boy nicknamed Limpy Jim, so called from a slight peculiarity in his walk. When all at once he espied our friend Dick in his new suit, my eyes! He exclaimed in astonishment, "Jim, just look at Ragged Dick! He's come into a fortune and turned gentleman. See his new clothes." So he has," said Jim. "Where'd he get 'em? I wonder. Hooked 'em, perhaps. Let's go and stir 'em up a little. We don't want no gentleman on our beat. So he's putting on airs, is he? I'll give him a lesson." So saying, the two boys walked up to our hero, who had not observed them, his back being turned, and Mickey Maguire gave him a smart slap on the shoulder. Dick turned round quickly. End of chapter thirteen. Chapter fourteen: A battle and a victory. What's that for? Demanded Dick, turning round to see who had struck him. You're getting mighty fine," said Mickey Maguire, surveying Dick's new clothes with a scornful air. There was something in his words and tone which Dick, who was disposed to stand up for his dignity, did not at all relish. "Well, what's the odds if I am?" he retorted. "Does it hurt you any?" "See him put on airs, Jim," said Mickey, turning to his companion. "Where'd you get them clothes?" "Never mind where I got 'em. Maybe the Prince of Wales gave 'em to me." "Hear him now, Jim," said Mickey. "Most likely he stole 'em." Stealin' ain't in my line. It might have been unconscious the emphasis which Dick placed on the word "my." At any rate, Mickey chose to take offence. Do you mean to say I steal? He demanded, doubling up his fist and advancing toward Dick in a threatening manner. I don't say anything about it," answered Dick, by no means alarmed at this hostile demonstration. I know you've been to the island twice. Perhaps 'twas to make a visit along with the mayor and aldermen. Maybe you was an innocent victim of oppression. I ain't a goin' to say. Mickey's freckled face grew red with wrath, for Dick had only stated the truth. Do you mean to insult me? He demanded, shaking the fist already doubled up in Dick's face. Maybe you want a lickin'. I ain't particularly anxious to get one," said Dick coolly. "They don't agree with my constitution, which is naturally delicate." I'd rather have a good dinner than lickin' any time. You're afraid," sneered Mickey. "Isn't he, Jim?" "In course he is." "Perhaps I am," said Dick composedly. "But it don't trouble me much." "Do you want to fight?" demanded Mickey, encouraged by Dick's quietness, fancying he was afraid to encounter him. "No, I don't," said Dick. "I ain't fond of fightin'. It's a very poor amusement and very bad for the complexion." Especially for the eyes and nose, which is very apt to turn red, white, and blue. Mickey misunderstood Dick, and judged from the tenor of his speech that he would be an easy victim, as he knew Dick very seldom was concerned in any street fights, not from cowardice as he imagined, but because he had too much good sense to do so. 
being quarrelsome, like all bullies, and supposing that he was more than a match for our hero, being about two inches taller, he could no longer resist an inclination to assault him, and he tried to plant a blow in Dick's face, which would have hurt him considerably if he had not drawn back just in time. Now, though Dick was far from quarrelsome, he was ready to defend himself on all occasions, and it was too much to expect that he would stand quiet and allow himself to be beaten. He dropped his blacking-box on the instant, and returned Mickey's blow with such a good effect that the young bully staggered back, and would have fallen if he had not been propped up by his confederate, Limpy Jim. "'Go in, Mickey!' shouted the latter, who was rather a coward on his own account, but liked to see others fight. "'Polish him off, that's a good feller!' Mickey was now boiling over with rage and fury, and required no urging. He was fully determined to make a terrible example of poor Dick. He threw himself upon him, and strove to bear him to the ground. But Dick, avoiding a close hug, in which he might possibly have gotten the worst of it, by an adroit movement tripped up his antagonist and stretched him on the sidewalk. "'Hit him, Jim!' exclaimed Mickey, furiously. Limpy Jim did not seem inclined to obey orders. There was a quiet strength and coolness about Dick, which alarmed him. He preferred that Mickey should incur all the risks of battle, and accordingly set himself to raising his fallen comrade. "'Come, Mickey,' said Dick quietly. "'You'd better give it up. I wouldn't have touched you if you hadn't hit me first. I don't want to fight. It's low business.' "'You're afraid of hurting your clothes,' said Mickey with a sneer. "'Maybe I am,' said Dick. "'I hope I haven't hurt yours.' Mickey's answer to this was another attack, as violent and impetuous as the first. But his fury was in the way. He struck wildly, not measuring his blows, and Dick had no difficulty in turning aside, so that his antagonist's blow fell upon the empty air, and his momentum was such that he nearly fell forward headlong. Dick might readily have taken advantage of his unsteadiness, and knocked him down, but he was not vindictive, and chose to act on the defensive, except when he could not avoid it. Recovering himself, Mickey saw that Dick was a more formidable antagonist than he had supposed, and was meditating another assault, better planned, which by its impetuosity might bear our hero to the ground. But there was an unlooked-for interference. "'Look out for the cop,' said Jim in a low voice. Mickey turned round and saw a tall policeman heading towards him, and thought it might be prudent to suspend hostilities. He accordingly picked up his black box, and hitching up his pants walked off, attended by Limpy Jim. "'What's that chap been doing?' asked the policeman of Dick. "'He was amusing himself by pitching into me,' replied Dick. "'What for?' "'He didn't like it because I patronized a different tailor from him.' "'Well, it seems to me you are dressed pretty smart for a boot-black,' said the policeman. "'I wish I wasn't a boot-black,' said Dick. "'Never mind, my lad. It's an honest business.' said the policeman, who was a sensible man and a worthy citizen. "'It's an honest business. Stick to it till you get something better.' "'I mean to,' said Dick. "'It ain't easy to get out of it,' as the prisoner remarked when he was asked how he liked his residence. "'I hope you don't speak from experience.' "'No,' said Dick. "'I don't mean to get into prison if I can help it.' "'Do you see that gentleman over there?' asked the officer pointing to a well-dressed man who was walking on the other side of the street. Yes. Well, he was once a newsboy. And what is he now? He keeps a bookstore, and is quite prosperous. Dick looked at the gentleman with interest, 
wondering if he should look as respectable when he was a grown man. It will be seen that Dick was getting ambitious. Hitherto he had thought very little of the future, but was content to get along as he could, dining as well as his means would allow, and spending the evenings in the pit of the old bowery, eating peanuts between the acts if he was prosperous, and if unlucky supping on dry bread or an apple, and sleeping in an old box or a wagon. Now, for the first time, he began to reflect that he could not black boots all his life. In seven years he would be a man, and since his meeting with Frank he felt that he would like to be a respectable man. He could see and appreciate the difference between Frank and such a boy as Mickey Maguire, and it was not strange that he preferred the society of the former. In the course of the next morning, in pursuance of his new resolutions for the future, he called at a savings bank and held out four dollars in bills besides another dollar in change. There was a high railing and a number of clerks busily writing at desks behind it. Dick, never having been in a bank before, did not know where to go. He went by mistake to the desk where money was paid out. "'Where's your book?' asked the clerk. "'I haven't got any.' "'Have you any money deposited here?' "'No, sir. I want to leave some here.' "'Then go to the next desk.' Dick followed directions, and presented himself before an elderly man with gray hair, who looked at him over the rims of his spectacles. "'I want you to keep that for me,' said Dick, awkwardly emptying his money out on the desk. "'How much is there?' Five dollars.' "'Have you got an account here?' "'No, sir.' "'Of course you can write.' The of course was said on account of Dick's neat dress. "'Have I got to do any writing?' asked our hero, a little embarrassed. "'We want you to sign your name in this book.' And the old gentleman shoved round a large folio volume containing the names of depositors. Dick surveyed the book with some awe. "'I ain't much on writing,' he said. "'Very well. Write as well as you can.' The pen was put into Dick's hand, and after dipping it in the inkstand, he succeeded after a hard effort, accompanied by many contortions of the face, in inscribing upon the book of the bank the name Dick Hunter. "'Dick! That means Richard, I suppose,' said the bank officer, who had some difficulty in making out the signature. "'No. Ragged Dick is what folks call me.' "'You don't look very ragged.' "'No. I've left my rags to home. They might get wore out if I used them too often.' "'Well, my lad, I'll make out a book in the name of Dick Hunter.' since you seem to prefer Dick to Richard. I hope you will save up your money and deposit more with us. Our hero took his bank-book and gazed on the entry five dollars with a new sense of importance. He had been accustomed to joke about Erie shares, but now, for the first time, he felt himself a capitalist. On a small scale, to be sure, but still it was no small thing for Dick to have five dollars which he could call his own. He firmly determined that he would lay by every cent he could spare from his earnings towards the fund he hoped to accumulate. But Dick was too sensible not to know that there was something more than money needed to win a respectable position in the world. He felt that he was very ignorant. Of reading and writing he only knew the rudiments, and that, with a slight acquaintance with arithmetic, was all he did know of books. Dick knew he must study hard, and he dreaded it. He looked upon learning as attended with greater difficulties than it really possesses. But Dick had good pluck. He meant to learn, nevertheless, and resolved to buy a book with his first spare earnings. When Dick went home at night, he locked up his bank-book in one of the drawers of the bureau. 
It was wonderful how much more independent he felt whenever he reflected upon the contents of that drawer, and with what an important air of joint ownership he regarded the bank building in which his small savings were deposited. End of chapter 14